Amen. Good singing, huh? A lot of babies, huh? Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. I, I want to invite you. I hope you brought the Bible with you. And I want to invite you this morning to take your Bible and turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, okay? Everybody, I hope you open it up and follow along with us. It's good to have our guests with us. Guests, we're beginning a study of what Jesus said to the churches in the, in the area of Asia. It's called the Lycus Valley. And we're just beginning a study of uh, the seven letters of what's called the Revelation. This morning's assignment is the uh, church at Ephesus, an incredible letter, a uh, challenging letter. We actually have two letters to Ephesus, one by Jesus through the Apostle John that we'll be talking about this morning. And then there's another one by Paul, okay? Let me just kind of tell you up front, uh, it's, it's an incredible letter. It's an incredible, challenging letter. And I want you to know that as I studied it, it caused me some heartburn. And I believe that any evangelical, any biblical conservative, when we study through this letter, others as well in the, in the, uh, in the study, but the one today... Gang, I believe it ought to cause us, those of us who believe conservative perspectives of the Word of God, those who would call themselves evangelicals, it ought to cause us some real heartburn. Because we're going to be talking about a wonderful church. We're going to be talking about a great church. But we're going to be talking about a church that died. A church that is no more. Gang, I'm talking about a great church that died. And the very thing that caused them to die is the very thing that we who are evangelical, we who are conservative in our beliefs, could cause us to have the same kind of death if we lose what they lost. In the lead up to our baby dedication, I had the opportunity to visit with all of our parents. We required them to go through a class. And in part of the lesson that I taught to them, I, I told the parents, I said, parents, the one thing you've got to do is that you've got to balance love in law. Somehow in the raising of your kids, with one of you being totally different than the other, somehow you've got to balance your devotion to your kids and the discipline of your kids. Well, this letter is going to challenge us in that regard. Now, before we read the text, let me kind of remind you, if you were here last week, I'll remind you, if you're a guest today, let me kind of set the stage a little bit. In chapter 1, verse 13, and in chapter 1, verse 20, and today in chapter 2, verse 1, we find that Jesus is in total control of his churches. The lampstands are the churches. And in chapter 1, in the very first verse of chapter 2, here's what we find. We find that Jesus is in the very middle of his churches, the lampstands. 
In fact, he's walking among them. Now, I want you to think with me, and I don't want to get mystical with you, but I believe this letter was written to actual churches back then. And I believe through the inspiration of God, these letters are relevant to us today. And so as I began to study and began to realize that really the one who is in charge of the churches is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he holds the lampstands in his hands, if he, if he walks among and in the midst of his churches, then what do you think Jesus would think? As we gather together, as we sing our songs, as we have our lessons taught, as our teachers share what they've studied, as the pastor takes the Word of God and shares from what he has studied, what do you think Jesus would think of Indian Springs Baptist Church if he were to walk up and down the aisles or in and out of the chairs? Hey, gang, let me suggest something. What do you think he would think about Indian Springs Baptist Church? When Indian Springs Baptist Church on a Monday is in an office somewhere, or our church is out at Wally World somewhere. You see, the church is not a building. The church is the people of God. That means Jesus is in control of the church, which means He ought to be in charge of every single person that makes up this faith family. Not only that, the Bible tells us that he holds the seven stars, which are the angels of the church, which is the messengers of the church. Some theologians call that the pastor of the church. I think it probably is, as well as every leader, every teacher. He holds them in his hands, which tells me, Tom, and tells you, Don, and Sunday school teacher, Deacon Rich, and everybody, it's a sober thing to be part of a leadership under the Lord Jesus who owns his church. It's a sober thing. I heard this week, uh, not a pastor around here, and you don't know who it is, but I got a call just a couple days ago from someone in my family and said, Uncle Tom, I, I hate to tell you this, but our church is without a pastor again. It's a church, kind of my country church where I grew up in. And, and I said, man, I, I hate to hear that. What happened? And he said, well, the pastor got caught drinking beer with some of the deacons. And I thought, well, my first thought was, deacons, don't call me. I got enough trouble, okay? But here's a young man who has been set apart by God to pastor the church of Jesus, who belongs to Jesus. But because of a dumb moment, because perhaps of bad judgment, he lost the very thing that he was called to do. Dear people, it's a sober thing to be part of the family of God. It is a sober thing 
to be set apart by God to pastor a church, to teach a Sunday school class, to be a deacon of a church. By the way, apparently the deacons are fine. They just can the preacher. Go figure that out if you could, you know. Well, let's take Revelation. That's uh, whatever. Um, <laughs> it's always the preacher's fault. Do you ever notice that? Amen. Let's, uh, let's stand in honor of God. We better move on. Chapter 2. And I want us to read uh, verses 1 through 7, okay? And we'll see what, what God has for us, okay? To the angel of the church in Ephesus write. Now remember, this is Jesus through John, okay? The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. By the way, that right hand is a sign of power, okay? So if Jesus holds the pastors in his right hand, who do you think Jesus has power over? Yeah, Okay, sober us up, doesn't it? The one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, he's walking among the churches, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they're not, but you found them to be false. And you have perseverance, and have not grown weary for my name's sake, and have not uh, have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. Now, if he had stopped here, we'd all left thinking, "What a great church! A church I wish Indian Springs was like this church. They had their head on straight. What an awesome church!" But look at verse four. But don't you hate the buts in the Bible? But. I have this against you. You have left your first love. Well, what do you do? Well, verse 5, Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent. And do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm going to come to you and I'm going to remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet you do have this, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. I'll talk about the Nicolaitans in a few weeks. And then Jesus concludes, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Father, I, 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 I love this letter. God, it challenges me. It ought to challenge all of us who call ourselves Bible-believing Christians, part of a Bible-believing church. God, help us to understand some of the goody of this today. Help us to get our head around some of the truths in the words we've just read, so that we might apply ourselves to the task of representing, that we might be a lampstand that represents the Lord Jesus in a world that desperately needs him. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks. Be seated. Keep your Bible open if you would. Let me... Uh, 
Let me just kind of give you a little facts about Ephesus. It was an amazing town, a very interesting place. It was called the Light of Asia because it was so prominent in commerce and in travel, in, in pagan worship especially. It wasn't the, the capital. Pergamum was the capital. But Ephesus was probably the most thriving of all the communities. And one of the things it was really known for, it was known for its pagan worship. It was a crossroads of many people, thriving economy. It was known for the worship of Artemis or the worship of Diana, uh, the goddess of fertility. So you can imagine the emphasis of, se of sexual immorality here. The Temple of Diana was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It was about the size of three football stadiums. It was bigger than the Parthenon, which was in Athens. Uh, in this great big temple, a huge temple, there were temple prostitutes that would come out every evening and, 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 and sell their wares. It was known for rank paganism. There were statues of Diana all over the place, and they would make little, little silver icons of her, and they would sell these little icons and, and make all kinds of money. If you remember reading in Acts chapter 18 and 19, that Paul created a real mess by disrupting the trade of these silver icons. In his letter to the church at Corinth, his first letter to the church of Corinth, Paul said that he fought the wild beasts at Ephesus. I, I don't think literally, I think it's figurative language, that there was such opposition there, it was like he was actually fighting mean, wild beasts. In another letter he said that, that there was a great door, a, a great door of opportunity opened up to him in Ephesus because there was many adversaries. He knew that the, the opportunity that he, had, that he had was in direct proportion to the opposition that was there. Gang, anything good is going to have its enemies, right? Anything of value is going to have its opposition. Parents, I'm telling you, in this culture in which we live, you raising your little boy or you raising your little girl in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord is going to have an enemy against you, and it's the enemy of the world. And his name is Satan. And he wants to destroy everything that is good about your home and everything that is good about your marriage. I uh, have a son and daughter-in-law that are on their, their missionaries are on their way home next week. And, it, and I have to tell you, even though I, my faith, I believe, is strong in God, I, I'm so worried about their coming. My son's birthday was yesterday, so I Skyped them. And, and, I, and I told Jeff, I said, Jeff, you listen to your dad because that little girl's a blonde-headed cutie. And that little boy is a blonde-headed cutie, probably the best-looking grandkids ever been invented. And I told my boy, I said, Jeff, don't you for one moment, don't you let those kids out of your sight in those airports that you're going to be going through. Anything good, anything righteous, anything holy is going to have its opposition. When Paul was getting ready to say goodbye to the elders of this church, later in Acts chapter 20, he called them to meet him in a place called Miletus. Paul was on his way to Jerusalem for the last time, and he, he called them together, and he gave some words of admonition and encouragement, but he gave them a word of caution, and he said to them, Hey, you elders, you leaders, listen up. After my departure... Grievous wolves are going to enter in, not sparing the flock. 
He said they're going to arise from the outside because they don't like the things of God. Expect it. But elders also be aware they're going to rise up from within. And he said, you watch out for them. Be careful that they don't overrun the church. And dear people, that's exactly what happened. There is no church there today. A great church. No longer there. The Apostle Paul had a great ministry there. Timothy was the pastor there. The Apostle John, that was his, his home place toward the end of his ministry. All had significant ministries in Ephesus. But it died. And there is no more. Last week I told you that just 40 years after Paul was there and the church was strong and vibrant, just 40 years later, Jeff, Jesus had to write a letter and caution them and say, if you don't keep it straight, if you don't keep your priorities right, then you're going to die. And they did. Now let me quickly, keep your Bible open, and let me quickly mention to you three things that, that, that I pull out of the text. First of all, there was something to praise here. Man, listen, there was much to commend. When it came to orthodoxy, when it came to doctrine, when it came to disciplines, Jesus had a lot of good things to say about the church. Look at verse 2 and 3. I'm not going to reread it. But as I speak, keep your nose in it, okay? Look at verse 2 and 3. Notice, first of all, they stood up to the task. The Bible says they worked hard. They were busy for good. They persevered even to the point of exhaustion, and yet in that exhaustion, they never were weary. Okay, let me tell you about Indian Springs Baptist Church. We work hard, don't we? I mean, hey, we had 25 kids. We're doing something. We work hard, don't we? Man, there's a lot of energy here. That, that word deeds means energy. The word toil means heavy labor. The word perseverance means patient endurance, holding up under duress. I want to tell you, I tell you one thing that scared me is we're a busy church. Next week we've got Camp Jam. Our limit is 200. We're already at about 220 because we can't say no. But the fact is we've had to turn away 30 to 50 kids. What do we do? We work hard. Here. And that's what Ephesus did. They stood up to the task. They stood up for the truth. Notice in those verses, they didn't endure evil men. They even tested the false teachers. They knew that only truth sets people free, and only truth endures. They stood up for the truth. Number three, they stood up in the test. Notice Jesus says they endured for his name's sake. That means that they endured for the name of Jesus. Do you get that, people? It means that they carried the name of Christ. We would look at that church and we would say that was a Jesus church. Man, they stood up and carried his name. And yet, there's something wrong. Look at verse 4. I have this against you, he says. 
You've left your first love. Do you see the tension here? This was a great church, at least I thought. By every indication, they would have been the toast of the denomination. At least I thought. In a community, this would have been the church that got all of the bragging rights. At least I thought. This church only had one... One problem, gang. Listen, you, you want to take a survey of Indian Springs, there's more than one problem here, amen? Most notably the preacher, although he's an angel, right? They only had one problem. They were strong in their doctrine. They were strong in their discipline. But they didn't have love. And because they didn't have love, they lost it all. Do you understand how serious this is? Listen, they weren't couch potatoes. They weren't Monday morning quarterbacks. They were on the line. They defined, they defended the faith, the truth. And yet over time, their defective love cost them their life. It was so serious that their effectiveness was gone. The light was gone. And Jesus just remove the lamps and give me a Rolates here, huh? That's what happened to me. My goodness, how can this happen? Now let me tell you something. They didn't stop meeting. You would listen to me. They didn't stop meeting. There was a group of people that probably got together every week. They'd probably sing some songs. Some guy'd get up there and preach probably too long for the people, you know. But Jesus left the scene. Jesus took the lampstand, and he let the light go away. He squished the light because they were defective in their doctrine. No. Because they didn't have their head on right in discipline. No. Jesus bailed out on them because they lost their love. Instead of joy, there were caustic complaints. Instead of peace, there were divisions. Instead of unity, that should have been centered on the light, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, there was the big I movement, me and my movement going on. Do you see the tension here, people? Does it grip you a little bit, make you want to look at your life a little bit, or perhaps look at the church a little bit? You see, their head was right, but their heart was so wrong, and it cost them everything. I want to give you a few statements. We're going to put them up on the screen, and I want you to follow with me in these statements I wrote down. You can be right and truthful and still love. You hear me, gang? You can be right and truthful and still have love. You can stand on principle and purpose and still have compassion. You can have proper orthodoxy, that's the belief system, the doctrine system, and still have powerful orthodoxy. Is it easy? No. Do you have to work hard at it? Yes, especially in this culture. And the fact of the matter is when you stand on right and truth, when you stand on principle and purpose, 
When you stand on proper orthodoxy, there's always going to be some that are not going to understand and attack you. We had a sister church this past week who decided that what the Boy Scouts did was wrong, and it was, who had supported the Boy Scouts in all of their doing, I think, for years. Well, when the Boy Scouts came out and said that we believe homosexuality is right, the church said, no, it's not right, it's wrong. And they pulled the charter. And they've been blasted. They've been torn apart. They've been eat up because they did what was right. They weren't mean. They did what was right. They did what was truthful. They stood on purpose and principle. Now, we would expect those outside of the faith to attack. I, I understand that. And that pastor, I don't know the pastor, but I'm sure he, he knew that it was going to come, you know. But I'll tell you what kind of bugs me a little bit is there's those who call themselves within the circle, within the family, that have kind of challenged them as well. They go around and say, well, they're not tolerant. Tolerant? Tolerant and compromise is not the same thing, folks. See, you can love and you can be compassionate and stand on truth and purpose. And I want to tell you, I think that's one of the it's a challenges going to be for our, these parents up here. And it's a challenge for our church. Can it be done? You bet. But it's not easy. And it takes challenge. And we better determine right now where we stand. Well, I don't have to determine. You better determine if you want to be here part of this or where we stand. We're not going to go out with axes. We're not going to go out BB gun shooting people in the rear end because they are mean to us. But we're going to, with as much love as we can, based upon the authority of the Word of God, we're going to stand for the truths of the Word of God. You've got to do that. And at the same time with it, you've got to be loving, you see. Many churches, many marriages for that matter, one day wake up, they look themselves in the eyes, and they say, how did it come to this? And Jesus said, the reason it did is because you've left your first love. Let me ask you a question. I, I, listen, this is a challenge for us. Do you remember, can you remember, the first time that you fell in love with Jesus? Now, remember the only reason you love him is because he first loved you, right? Do you remember that? Is your heart beating as strongly right now? Is your passion as great right now for that as it was at the beginning. See, Jesus says, you've left your first love. And then he says, here's what you do. Notice in verse 5 the promise he gives. He tells them three things. First thing he tells them is this, remembered. Can you remember that? Listen, memory is a precious thing. My wife has spent billions of dollars on pictures. Why? It's a remembrance. Some, about a year or so ago, she let them all stack up. And she said, I want pictures of all these. And I said, well, they're on the computer. She said, no, I want to be able to touch them. And she said, go to Walgreens had a special, like seven cents a picture. And I seven times, we had 3,200 of them. I said, Paula, we're not going to eat. And she said, I want them. So I went in there and we clogged the system. We shut down Walgreens. 
Yeah, about a week later, I went back in to get him. The guy said, hey, he's the guy. He's the guy that shut us down. Why in the world would she want 300, uh, 3,200 pictures? Because memory is a precious thing, folks. That's why Jesus says, remember the way it was at the first. Go back to the starting point. We have memorial services, and it seems like in our memorial service, when someone dies, now we have DVDs. And you know what those DVDs do? They go all the way back to diapers, and they go all the way forward to old age, right? I mean, the, the DVDs start with no hair, and they end with no hair. Why? Because, listen, memories are precious things. It's that way for a family, but it's really that way with Jesus. And you see, I think we need to go back. Church, I believe, can I be so bold to say that some of us in this church, we've forgotten what it was like at the beginning. We've forgotten what it was like that first moment when we realized the depth of our sin and the corruption and the rotting away of our sin and what that was going to do to us and what we deserved. And yet God, in grace alone, broke through our world and shed His love upon us and grabbed us by grace and saved us by grace and ushered into our life a complete new life, you see. Oh, would you allow yourself from time to time to take a little trip back memory lane? See, my wife and I do that from time to time in our marriage. We've been married a long time, 40-something years now. <laughs> and from time to time, you know what? We go back. I mean, I had a wedding yesterday, and I thought about a precious young couple, man. I thought... And there they go on their honeymoon. I came home. I said, do you remember our honeymoon? She said, vaguely. I said, vaguely? I remember it well. Memory. Jesus says, hey, it's a mind thing. Go back and remember. Number two, he says, repent. Do you see that? What is that? It's turning around, going back. It's starting from the beginning, letting the warm fuzzies all over you again. Hey, stop, dear church. Fall on your face before a holy God. Get broken before a holy God. Turn on your heels. Like the prodigal son who woke up in the pig pen, wake up and remember that everything you were ever searching for and everything you were ever longing was right where you left it, around Daddy's table. Repent. And then return. Start doing what you did when it was good and juicy. Just start doing what you did at the first. It's not hard. You remember, you repent, you return, okay? I told our young parents that, that raising kids, you just don't float through. It's a matter of focus. It's a matter of priority. It's a matter of limiting distractions in your life. It's keeping your eyes on the goal, on the target, which is the transcendent glory of God. And I believe what's true for parents raising children is true for the parents and the adults as well. Notice Jesus said, if you don't, I'm going to remove you. And he did. But notice he also said, if you do, if you have an ear to hear, 
you're going to be an overcomer. And that word overcomer means victor victory, victorious. It's the, a Nike. It's a, Nike gets their name from that. It means to be a champion. So Jesus says to the church, hey, if you got an ear to hear, and you go back to your first love and start doing it all over again, you're going to be one of my champions. And what a great saying. I told you at the beginning there was a, 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 lot, of, a lot of tension in my heart in this letter, and it was. The tension in my heart, church, was until he said, but, I saw Indian Springs Baptist Church. Hey, we believe the word, don't we? We try to teach the word. We try to preach the word. We have some doctrines that we believe in very strongly. And then all of a sudden, that but was thrown in. And I began to ask myself, do we have love? Now, I think we do. I really think we do. But, oh, dear people, we must never lose it. They lost it, and they died. And I was wrestling through this tension, and I read a statement. And I want to give you, there it is, and read that with me. Every virtue carries within itself the seeds of its own destruction. Read, grab that. A virtue is something good, something commendable. Every virtue carries within itself the seeds of its own destruction. You see, in our evangelical, conservative core of belief, dear church, while you and I must hold on to truth and not waver, we must never allow our disciplines and our doctrines to kill our love. And if we do, we die. We must have one without losing the other. And so let me just close with a real quick statement to you. God cares more about our heart than he does about our head. Listen, you can have the brain. I'm so I'm glad. God doesn't call preachers because of their brains, you know. And I'd have been out of this thing a long time ago. If the whole idea of pastoring a church was because of the brain waves in this thing, it'd have been over a long time ago. But God's not into big heads. God's into big hearts. I believe that's what we learned from David when he was proclaimed king. Man looks on the outside, but God looks on the inside. God looks at the heart. God's omniscient. He doesn't care about big heads. He's got the biggest head of all, right? But I'll tell you, dear church, what he is into, what he cares deeply about. And it's something that you and I, in our doing and busyness, in our stand for truth and in in light in a dark world, while we're called upon to stand on the righteousness of Jesus Christ and his blood that he shed on Calvary. We who make up the faith family of Indian Springs Baptist Church must never be defective in our love. And there is the danger of every fellowship to lose it. 
And the reason Jesus pulled the lampstand was not because of what they believed. It was because of how they behaved. It's how they treated the love of the Lord Jesus. Well, that's enough. Let's pray. Stu's going to come and we're going to have a time of reflection. Let's call it today a time of remembrance. As Stu begins to sing, I want you to take a trip down memory road. Back to the moment when Jesus became real. When he released the shackles of sin, let you out of the prison house of sin. And I want you to worship again. Or maybe as you look back, there's never been that moment where the chains were broken. Maybe there's never been that moment when you realized that you were forgiven for your sin. And if we can help you, We'd be honored to do that. It's not about church membership. It's about where you're going to spend eternity. Okay? And, and Stu, wait a minute. Uh, keep your head bowed. I've been wrestling whether to say, but I think I will with your heads bowed. Gang, we live in imperfections. Everybody in this room has been hurt in some way by somebody. And each in their own ways, had their love slammed in some way. And if that's bugging you, if it's hurting you, then the call I have to you today is to forgive. For you see, when you go back to the first love, the thing that really dawns on you is that in all of your sin, with no strings, Jesus forgave you, right? How can you not forgive others and move on? Father, I love you. And God, my prayer for my dear people today, with all the hurts and the challenges going on, that we might remember that moment that we were made righteous by Christ. There on that cross 2,000 years ago, he paid the price. And by grace, he's chose us in him and given us forgiveness and life. And that ought to be the motivation by which we can keep our first love. Maybe today there's some struggling with that. Maybe they've been hurt or maybe they don't remember or have ever had a moment when life became real. Maybe this is their moment. Give them courage in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together for just a moment. God has spoken to your heart. If you need to come forward, we're here to help any way we can. Our staff will be here. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin?
make me whole again Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh, precious is the flow That makes me white as snow Oh, no other fount I know Nothing but the blood of Jesus Let's sing that together. This will be our close if no one comes. sin atone nothing but the blood of Jesus not a good that I have done nothing but the blood of Jesus oh precious is the flow that makes me white as Let's be seated for just a moment. And Don, if you'll help with them. Hey, why don't you sing us a song, dude? Okay. Yeah, you know, just whatever. Either you or me. We can do it, man. Amen. Can do it. I'll tell you what, you guys, let's sing. You guys all know I stand amazed in the presence. Let's sing that. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene And wonder how he could love me A sinner condemned a Mitzi, come and stand beside me. This is Mitzi DeVasher. DeVasher, okay? Mitzi knows the Lord's been coming for some time, and her uh, desire is to join Indian Springs. If you're excited about that, would you say amen? Amen. Neil, you and Lindsay. Lindsay is my daughter. Okay. Okay, souls, y'all come up here, okay? They've come this morning and desiring membership, and uh, Lindsay said, I, I need to talk to you, so we're going to be doing that. But they've come to be with us, be part of Indian Springs, and we'll be talking with them. If you're excited about their coming, would you say amen? Amen. Now, that's a blonde-headed boy like my grandson, okay? Hey, listen, good to have you guests. Thanks for coming. Members, don't leave until you come. I want you guys to stay right here, okay? I want you to come and welcome these that have come and be praying for next week. And God bless you. Have a, have a great week. Amen.